Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Although the counting in the federal election hasn't been completed, it looks like the Turnbull Coalition government will be returned with the support of independents. Hardly a resounding endorsement of the Coalition's policies. Whatever the outcome, two things have popped up which put a big question mark over the Liberal Party's capacity to understand fairness, transparency and the meaning of justice. The first happened during the election and concerned the CFA. And the second happened when Liberal Philip Ruddock retired from Parliament and was appointed Australia's Human Rights Envoy to the United Nations. Let's take the CFA issue first. The Liberal Party decided it was an election winner to paint the negotiations between the Victorian Labor government and the CFA UFU as an attack on the CFA volunteer status actively pushing the position that the Victorian Labor government was conceding to UFU demands over concerns of the CFA. In a classic advertising ploy where one brand, the Liberal Party, tries to enhance its position by standing against a stronger brand, the CFA, the Liberals had their members not CFA members, in black windsheeters with the words Save Our CFA at marginal country polling booths on election day. This has troubled CFA members who see that their effectiveness as an organisation is damaged by the politicisation of the service. We were able to speak to a CFA member who expressed his concerns. I'm a CFA volunteer of about 19 years now. Um, I'm in a brigade that's just on the urban edge, so we have some interaction with the urban firefighters, not very much. There's been a negotiation, an EBA negotiation, between uh, the CFA and the UFU and the state government, and that's been going on for three years. But one of the things that you were most uh, perturbed by recently was the way that was being used leading up to the federal election. Can you tell me a little bit about how you saw that? Yes, the dispute's been, well, it's been going on for three years. The EBA is three years out of date, I believe, now. Um, <clears throat> I didn't know much about it until, I don't know, maybe Easter, a bit after Easter when we started getting some information through the VFBV, the Volunteers Association. Um and that sort of, I mean, they were making a lot of noise about it and it sounded like there were some issues that seemed a bit strange. Now, you're, you're and for listeners, I'm not sure everybody realises this, you've got the CFA, but you're actually a member of the Volunteer yeah. uh, Firefighters Brigade. The CFA is a very unusual organisation, an unusual employer, because I think, I'm not sure what percentage is, but the overwhelming percentage of firefighters are volunteer firefighters and part-time firefighters. It's, and originally it was all volunteers, the CFA were all volunteer firefighters and over time there's been more and more staff employed for management admin type work. And if people think about it, you know, that in the days when roads weren't good, when there wasn't good transport, people were fighting fires to protect their own 
Yeah, yeah. There that, it is. That's, the, the, original, the early brigades were just groups of, of locals who went out together and eventually, I think about 150 years ago, they started forming brigades. Um, eventually, the, I think the state government realised that there was an important role they played and the CFA was formed. Even now, the CFA board, I believe four out of the nine members of the board are appointed by volunteers um, and the rest are appointed by the government. The CFA is held fondly in people's, uh, in the general psyche uh, because they're protectors of people and property during terrible fire. Yeah, they are. And I think the other important part that I was trying to get to before, um, the volunteers are all part-time and basically I think there has to be a volunteer CFA because for most of the state, they don't get a fire every 10 years. I think in my area we've had two fires in our area, I mean significant fires in in the area since I've been a member, so it's for 20 years. But when you do get a fire, you need a lot of people and you need people close because if for a house fire, if we were waiting for the permanent firefighting force to turn up, it could be 20 minutes to half an hour just because of distance. Um, which for house fire is much too long. So you do need people close, and you do have a lot more people available in high times, and you need need pretty much all the rest of the time. And then it makes sense that there would be, when you're negotiating an EBA that uh, deals with both groups of people, the professional fighters, uh, firefighters and the volunteer firefighters, that you're probably going to have some points that need to be negotiated. But that wasn't really the thing that really caused you concern. No, that's not. I mean... I think there's always been issues between the permanents and the volunteers and the, the management who will have their own views. But that goes on and has for a long time. What's caused me concern now is that the current negotiations have become had become fairly heated already and then the Liberal Party, as part of their election campaigning, have actually bought into it. A few weeks before the election, the Volunteer Association called for a, a public rally in the Treasury Gardens to um, just sort of publicise the fact that there were issues and that we felt they weren't being handled properly. We weren't being given, given enough input into them or enough sort of consideration in the negotiations. I went to the rally and it was I was quite pleased. There were a lot of people there. I think there were people from far reaches of Victoria as well as a lot of near-in near brigades. And the, the organisers were very clear to point out that it was a non-political meeting. It was a non-political issue that we were talking about. And for most of the most of the rally, it was really good. And then, sort of, they announced that Malcolm Turnbull and Matthew Guy were going to be speaking. They did say that they'd invited Bill Shorten and Daniel Andrews as well, but they weren't able to come. So I sort of thought. Um, this is sounding kind of dangerous, getting politicians here at all. But if they're prepared to come and talk to the issues, then I'm prepared to listen to them. But of course, as soon as Malcolm got up first, he got up first, and he just turned it into a union bashing tirade. He was going to fix up the Fair Work, the Fair Work Act to make any sort of out there clauses in EBAs impossible or, or undoable, and really used to the union bashing and through them a Labor Party bashing um, opportunity. When Matthew Guy got up, he just got stuck straight into Daniel Andrews. There was he didn't he barely mentioned the, the fire fire issues at all. It was just a, an appalling thing. Um, 
So I went away from that. We actually left pretty much as soon as that finished before the rally really wound up, but it was winding up with a bit of a bad taste in the mouth. But Did I, you get any sense of anybody else's reaction to that? How did they? What was the crowd's reaction? I think there was some small applause for, for Malcolm and for, for Matthew Guy. Not as much as it had been before. I must admit that in the CFA, I, I quite carefully don't discuss political views at all, really. I think most of the same. I mean, in, within the CFA, there's a wide range of political views. And if we got involved with those sort of discussions, then it's just going to make the work so much harder. So I think everyone agrees that we won't. My feeling has always been that the majority of the people in my brigade are probably Liberal supporters. But from comments, in fact, in the last few weeks, I'm beginning to wonder just how many are. I'm now fairly certain that at least some of them aren't. But they were unsettled. But they were unsettled and, and they certainly agreed that having these issues used for the Liberal campaign without actually... They didn't actually add any input constructive to the, to the actual issues. They just used the fact of the issue to raise tension. And I think most people who think about it realise that that's unhelpful. I mean... Did it um, reach your radar that... Uh some of the uh, people that were wearing Save Our uh, CFA T-shirts at uh, polling booths like Corangamite, which was a marginal seat uh, on the other side of Geelong, were actually not CFA members. They were actually found to be Liberal Party members. I didn't, I didn't know that even now. It doesn't surprise me, I guess. There's always sort of a question in the back of my mind just how much they were, and especially with the the groups on television tracking the Bill Shorten's election campaign around. Um, I sort of wondered how much help they were getting from support of the Liberal Party. I think what really pushed me beyond being just a bit concerned to being, I guess I'd say irate, is when I discovered that... Uh, well, for, I was actually... I was handing out how to vote cards for get-up on election day. And um, we were to all the, the hander-outers were hanging around and we were chatting and it was really very friendly, um, quite constructive. We were fairly careful not to mention serious issues for the day because we wanted to be friends or at least to get on well. And then at the end, I was on the final shift. Uh, the lady handing out liberal had to vote cards commented that she was going to go and get look at pick up their posters we have to had to remove the posters from the school fence and she was going to keep one of the CFA ones because she thought they were really neat. I knew that in fact the guy I'd been working with on the Get Up campaign had already gone to get the posters and he'd taken those those with him as well because they weren't obviously belonging to any liber- any political party. It appeared to have just been left there. So he took them home. And that evening I sort of thought about it and I thought and the Liberal lady said she'd put them up, so she'd actually said she'd put them up in the morning, so she thought she could take one home. Um, so I wondered what that meant, so I actually got in touch with this guy and asked if I could have, have one of the posters, and that's when I found the name of the authorising officer for the poster. It was um, Simon Frost. And I was now pretty, um, I'd say, concerned about what that meant, so I tracked down a Liberal Party poster on a Monday, and it was also authorised by Simon Frost. Um, and that's does this have any uh, detrimental effect, do you think, on the operations or the feelings of the people who work 
through the CFA? Yes, uh, I really think it does. Um, and that's really why I'm, I'm, I'm annoyed because it, I don't feel that we were just being used and possibly some of the volunteers were being duped. I guess, like you asked before about the, the Liberal Party members not volunte- who weren't actually volunteers demonstrating, um, I thought it was just volunteers who'd been duped and, and sort of conned into doing Liberal Party business, but maybe it's worse than that. But, um, yeah, I think that the publicity it's got through the Liberal Party campaign has raised tensions within the CFA between people um, and also it appears to have raised some strong feelings in the public about the CFA. I certainly get the impression from talking to people that the CFA is... I mean, it has always been... You could be proud wearing a CFA uniform and people responded that you always get hello and on the collections, the Good Friday collection, people were very friendly. Even the most, a lot of them by the end of the morning were saying, I'm sorry, I've got no more money. I've given it all away already. Um, and then they stop and dig somewhere else and get some more out. So there was a, a sense that there was some sort of loss in the value we had to the rest of the community. But then a few weeks ago, just about a week before the election, we had an email from um, headquarters advising uh, advising us on how to look after our personal safety when in public, advising us not to wear a uh, CFA uniform in public unless we were actually on the job doing something where we needed it, and offering suggestions on how we could protect ourselves if anything came up. And after that, that of course got a good deal of discussion going within the CFA, and it turned out that, that there's been threats, ver- verbal threats. There have been physical threats. Apparently there have been some, I'm not sure how serious, assaults, uh, including in the station, in the permanent station nearest me, so it's people I, I meet occasionally. And I really... The timing of it, to me, it's sort of every, it's everything has come from the, the, this politicising of the dispute for the political sake for the campaigning sake has created a lot of stress within the fire brigade, within the CFA, and it's just going to make it so much harder for the CFA to rebuild after it and to get the respect of the public back. Further to this issue, Queensland professional firefighter Shane Malley had this to say. You know, the uh, the CFA issue down in Victoria ha- had some traction for the Liberal Party. Because you're a fiery, did, did that register on your uh, radar? Well, I'll tell you what, it upset a lot of fires. I mean, if, you know, if they think they were doing, having a win with the general community, um, I, I, I don't think so, Annie. I mean, from having a look at the polling results, I don't think it made a huge difference. Um, they might have thought they were having a win, but um, from what I hear, um, you know, some of the, the, the volunteer and fire uh, stations down in the areas that they were actually had to fake the, you know, they, they were pretending there were Liberal Party people wearing, you know, the CFA, hands off our CFA. Um, and they were all, they weren't firefighters and they were just wearing, you know, Liberal Party garb that had been paid for. I think what the, the dots are all connecting now is it was actually a Liberal Party scare campaign. And the fireys in those areas are furious. They've actually sent out, uh, from what I believe, disclaimers, denials. Um, they've actually sent out handouts and letterbox drops saying, that uh, the fires, you know, the fires in those areas had nothing to do with it, and they certainly went on the polling booth. So, I think this might actually come back to bite them because it didn't affect things greatly in the areas. 
that they were there. I don't think they had a big win from it, and I think it's actually destroyed, you know, any credibility they had left, especially trying to pretend to be fiery at polling booths, which terrible. You know, I think it might come back to bottom on the bottom. Just to clarify, at issue seems to be a non-binding recommendation put forward by the Fair Work Commission that there should be a minimum of seven professional firefighters, that's United Firefighting Union firefighters, dispatched to incidents before commencement of safe firefighting operations to 34 specified firefighting centres and the role of CFA members when it comes to training. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. In what can be seen as another example of a Liberal Party bad taste, billed as a moment of devastating irony, former Immigration Minister Philip Ruddick, the moment he resigned from Parliament, was appointed Australia's UN Special Envoy for Human Rights. Ruddick was in the thick of what many believe are deeply disturbing instances of human rights abuses for political gain. Remember the children overboard incident? When the Howard government broadcast a selective image of asylum seeker children in the water, claiming that they had been thrown overboard? A number of children have been thrown overboard, again with the intention of putting us under duress. This is what Philip Ruddick said at the time. And whilst this was proved to be a lie, Ruddick has stated recently that he has no regrets about his handling of the incident. Ruddick also presided over the incarceration of David Hicks, held for six years without trial in Guantanamo Bay. The cases of Cornelia Rao and Vivian Alvarez Australian citizens deported as illegal immigrants, and Madhut Habib, a former Guantanamo Bay detainee whose claim that an Australian official stood by whilst he was being tortured, was ignored. Recently, July the 12th, the Wheeler Centre in Melbourne, as part of its thought-provoking lecture series, gave Ruddick the stage. Protesters against Ruddick's role as a human rights ambassador were there in force. Lock up Ruddick, throw in peace. We won't stop till we free the refugees. Lock up Ruddick. I'm from CCR. Can you tell me what's going on here? Sure. So um, there's a protest tonight um, because Philip Ruddick is speaking. Philip Ruddick being a human rights envoy for the government, having previously um, been involved in leading, um, pioneering some of the human rights abuses we see um, in Australia today, be it the human rights abuses in refugee detention centres, um, pioneering and establishing some of the most cruel detention centres in Australia, uh, pioneering the Pacific Solution, which was then taken over by Labor and now back with the Liberals. But this is the situation we're in where basically he's um, advocating government policy and calling uh, human rights abuses human rights. It's very Orwellian. Because um, I have a long memory and I remember uh, the dreadful things that happened when Philip Ruddick was Immigration Minister. That's why I'm here. Are you a bit disappointed that he should be coming here to talk about? Uh, I'm shocked that he would be that he would be invited to the Wheeler Centre to talk about human rights. I'm really, really, really angry about it. He has altered 
for the worst, thousands of people's lives. What do you think about this police presence? Well, it is to protect him, isn't it? Yeah. He, if he's a, he's a person of principles and ethics, he wouldn't need any protection from the politicians or from the police. Or from He'd the... be loved by the people. Yeah. Uh, so we're slowly starting to gather at the Wheeler Centre. Philip Ruddick is speaking tonight. He has been given a platform, just him, with someone interviewing him. Uh, and I find this really uh, abhorrent. I think that if the Wheeler Centre is truly to test ideas and ideologies and politics, uh, they should certainly have someone countering his record. And his record is abhorrent. While the Labor Party instituted mandatory detention, uh, it was under Ruddock's watch as immigration minister that the Pacific solution uh, became the be-all and end-all. We haven't forgotten about the people in Woomera and Baxter. We haven't forgotten about all the people detained on Manus and Nauru. Without his lies and his demonisation of refugees, uh, we would not be in the scenario scenario we're in now uh, where Muslims and refugees are being vilified and treated, you know, like prisoners for doing nothing but seeking asylum. So uh, we're all gathering here tonight. There's a small bunch so far. We're intent on being able to look Philip Ruddock in the eye and let him know that we remember and he does not represent us. He should not be the Australian UN human rights envoy. His record is appalling and it's absolutely unacceptable. Uh, And it's proof again that our democracy is incredibly flawed. When someone with his human rights abuse record can be gifted such a position, and really it's a reward for his inhumane treatment of refugees. What about the police presence? Yeah, it's, it's really, you know, I'm feeling really odd. I have lots of friends in America and there's so much going on over there um, in terms of the police really becoming militarised. And so I look at the police here and I, I kind of feel like uh, they have been co-opted by the state and by private uh, corporations and properties. Uh, I wonder if the Wheeler Centre or Philip Ruddick asked them to be here. They're a Victorian police, they're certainly not AFP. Uh, And I think it's fairly predictable that they will try and protect a human rights abuser over the people uh, that want to confront him. Uh, We're not here to be aggressive. We're here to simply let the people that are attending this event know and to let Philip Ruddick know that we remember it's unacceptable and the Wheeler Centre uh, should do the right thing and actually have an event where someone's views are challenged. Uh, Ruddick is not going to be challenged by one interviewer. That's just not going to happen. It only comes through debate. Uh, The questions are always really sort of moderated. Uh, So I think Philip Ruddick is going to get an easy run inside tonight, but he's going to have to run the gauntlet to get through us first. So why are you here? I'm here to protest the nomination of Philip Ruddock as a a UN envoy to the Human Rights Committee. It's absolutely contemptible that a person who has been instrumental in the demonisation of asylum seekers, who told so many lies over the children overboard incident, can now be seen in this prestigious place, given legitimacy and authority, when in fact we don't forget, we know that he's a human rights abuser and he has no place there and he should slink back to retirement. You're listening to Stick Together, Union News, Workers' Stories. Last week we brought you news from the CUB picket line where 54 skilled workers were fired and told they could have their jobs back if they dropped their unions and took a 65% wages cut. At the picket line in Southampton, Cresset, Abbotsford, the sign that puts it all in focus is the one that says, Will it be you next? The picket line continues and supporters are welcome 6am to 6pm.
But last week, the workers rallied outside the CUB offices, 77 to 87 South Bank Road, Melbourne. Stick Together's Dennis Rogatuk was there. Craig Kelly, the Assistant State Secretary of the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, join us now. Now, Craig, could you tell us about the progress that's been made with the dispute um, so, so far? Okay, well, progress is that um, CUB and uh, Program haven't moved. We've put the demand to them today that they need to re-employ our members immediately on the same paying conditions that they, they had uh, prior to them being terminated. So we've put the offer to them that we'll talk to them on that basis, that they re-employ our members and we'll sit down and talk with them. Um, the progress so far is that we know the brewery is not producing beer at the, um, the high, high volumes that it's... Uh, that our members keep it running at um, because, let's face it, when you've got scabs um, who got no principles, they generally not particularly bright and haven't got too many skills either. That's right. So it's very, it's very highly um, high-skilled uh, positions and jobs that have been, that have been effectively slashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. It's, um, it's a state-of-the-art brewery and for that you need state-of-the-art tradespeople. And we've also seen a lot of cop- a lot that it hasn't just been the um, because the elect- elect- electrical trades union is also uh, has also has members at the at the, at the Carlton Bureau. So how has the cooperation be- 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 been between the two uh, trade unions regarding the issue? Oh look, we've been um, you know shoulder to shoulder as we as we always are. Um, our members you know, work in with the um, electricians on the job and. And the two unions, the AMW and the ETU, work you know traditionally, you know together in you know the blue collar areas that we represent our members in. And how do you see the dispute, uh, dispute progressing now? From what I understand, the picket line is, uh, is, is still is still ongoing, and uh, the workers are still uh, asking for support and solidarity from uh, the community as well. Yeah, yeah, we've had a good turnout from um, you know from our uh, universities, students, from unions, from community. Uh, down at the picket line, um, there's been pledges of um, financial support for the 54 um, from all the unions. We've received generous donations, you know, from job sites, from unions. Um, we've had you know um, meat workers bring bring down uh, meat meat for for our barbecues. It's been terrific support. So um, I think um, you know while we can support them morally and financially, I think their solidarity will um, continue. Fantastic. Correct. Cheers. Thanks for this. No worries. That's it for Stick Together. Thanks for you for listening. Thanks to David Rowe, Shane Malley, Craig Kelly and all those people outside the Wheeler Centre in the rain uh, for talking to us. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.